0: where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
1: On today's show, we take your questions on talking to your friend about their flirty boyfriend, family monograms, hosting at someone else's house, and etiquette for when a neighbor moves away.
0: For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question is about addressing loss and miscarriage.
1: Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, And a postscript on Thanksgiving Day table setting.
0: All that, coming up.
1: Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post.
0: And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey, cuz. Lizzie Post.
1: I'm going to spill some beans. Do it. This co-host of mine, this cousin, this family elder... And his daughter played a prank on me last week. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> You're going to tell this story. Oh, I'm telling him. We Dan and I have been still really hard at work on the book. In fact, it's extended far beyond we thought it would. I, th- I think one might question our, our levels of mental fitness at this point.
0: Our abilities to let go. <laughs>
1: our abilities to function oh, at oh. all. <laughs> But it was it was really fun to get pranked. What happened was I was sitting at home on a – I think it – was it a Monday? It was a, like, regular day, <laughs> getting, getting some edits in, do, doing my part while we weren't on the phone together, editing things together. And all of a sudden, like, I heard I – th- I think I heard a knock at the door. And I was like, I'm coming. And I go to the door, and there's no one there. And like I look to see if maybe it was like, you know, the FedEx person and they've like, you know, because they're always Left running the back and forth, or, you know. like gone fast and there's no package. And occasionally a friend will like go around to see if my my backyard door is open because um, sometimes I ju- it's just a big sliding glass door. So I kind of peered around the backyard. There was no one there. And I was like, this is really weird. And then I started thinking of friends who might be messing with me. Did not think of family members who might be messing with me. I finally went far enough around the corner of the garage to see little Anisha Senning giggling like crazy with her father, who was also (laughs) giggling like crazy. Um, it was, it was really funny. It was such a great surprise. And cause you made that surprise, that drop by visit, which was Literally the section of the book we were working on when you dropped by. <laughs> so much fun because you also you, – you there was this really cool thing happening where Pooj was going to be able to come get Anisha and you and I got to work together in the same room for like a whole eight hours and it was unbelievable.
0: <laughs> okay, it's so much fun for me to hear about that experience from your perspective just because – Obviously, I have my own view on it, but I don't think I'd heard from you exactly what you were up to as we were ringing your doorbell and running away.
1: <laughs> it was really, really funny.
0: Hiding you behind guys, the bushes.
1: And you also brought treats. I mean, you brought me watermelon and green juice and, uh, and, and a, what was it, sticky bun. I got some kind of like cinnamon sticky bun thing. And it, oh, it was just so, it was awesome. It was a great drop-by visit.
0: Nish so got it.
1: She did. She did. She did.
0: <laughs> For everyone's benefit, uh, Anisha and I had had a dentist appointment that I had thought was at our usual spot. And it turned out it was at a different office. And when I had looked up where that office was, I discovered earlier that morning on Monday morning that I was going to be about a block and a half from Lizzie's house. and Which is we...
1: really random, guys. <laughs> like this doesn't nor- – normally Dan's in my worlds don't cross that closely in Vermont. <laughs>
0: As we were wrapping up our appointment, I was talking to Anisha and I was telling her that we were really close to Lizzie's house and that it'd be fun to go visit you. And then I got this idea. I was like, "Oh, we could play a prank on her." And Anisha's <laughs> eyes just lit up because she's she's heard prank before. And when I explained to her sort of the the the, the concept, she grokked it instantly. She was so ready. <laughs> And it would have worked even better if I was able to count on her to actually successfully ring that doorbell, but I wasn't sure. Oh, I
1: forgot about this. <laughs>
0: so we had actually done it a couple more times. We, 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 we ran our prank about four times. I think we got you the last two when I told Anisha to start really rapping on the door. Um, mm-hmm. But, you yeah, know, she was delighted and had so much fun and also enjoyed the sticky bun.
1: Oh, it was, it was a blast. It was, it was a good day. It made for in the middle of a lot of what felt like mundane days where not that I don't love you cuz, but my life basically revolved around our day long phone call of editing into the evening after dinner and then just pretty much going to bed, waking up and calling you within like half an hour of waking up. It was such a great shake up to the day. It was the perfect prank to play because no one was going to get hurt or be upset or anything like that. Um, It was it was it was really, really fun. I really appreciated it. And I especially appreciated the timing of it. (laughs) Drop by visits. (laughs) Life is ironic.
0: (laughs) A little good humor can go a long way in any relationship. Well, as you said, that day did turn into a great editing day also, and it was fun to sit there and get to do that with you. And I even tolerated or accepted, I guess I should say, wouldn't say tolerated when you – offered to record the session to take some video of it for posterity (laughs) so lizzie set up a camera and recorded us in the same room together just hashing out what will be the 20th edition of emily post etiquette for the 100 year anniversary and i'm hoping that someday we will look back on that recording and laugh about the day (laughs) and the editing process (laughs) and where this book hopefully that we'll be so proud of came from yeah
1: I think the feeling was that um we always wish that we had more people want to know what was Emily thinking when she changed from from this edition to this edition, this piece of advice, and we don't really have a lot of that history because uh sometimes it was in the hands of one person, sometimes it was in the hands of a group and it it wasn't something you kind of took too many notes on or saved the the files and the the paper versions of it was it was considered garbage whereas the the fir- you know the final version was the version you save so my hope is that if if the next generation picks it up that that it it kind of helps fills in some of those questions that that they might end up having about this particularly special edition
0: we have gotten more interested in process as yeah, the years have. have gone by
1: <laughs> it's because we get so many re- requests for it that we can't fulfill that we're like we should probably start doing this Well, one other thing we should probably start doing on this podcast is answering some questions. You think it's time to get to it?
0: Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at Emily post Institute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show.
1: I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H- Dot com slash manners, it's manners with an s, to save ten dollars on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is a toughie and it's titled Disrespectful Date. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have a close friendship that has lasted 11 years. We see each other at least once a month and our friendship is similar to that of sisters. My friend, Brought her current boyfriend that she has been dating for a year as a plus one to my wedding. During the wedding, her boyfriend openly flirted with me right in her presence. I was appalled and did not respond. As the guests were heading home, several of the women, including my sister, pulled me aside and vented that the same man flirted with them, sometimes aggressively, and that he inappropriately touched their shoulders or offered massages. Lizzie and Dan, I feel compelled to speak with my friend about this. I would like to state that I do not wish to be in his presence and to only meet with her in the future. Will this approach cause our long friendship to dissolve? Many thanks for your advice. Sincerely, R.L. Oh, that's a tough one.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry to hear about this, RL. It's a really unfortunate thing to be dealing with following your wedding. And it's a really unfortunate thing to be dealing with as a a potential disruption or problem in an 11-year friendship that you really value. Yeah. One of my thoughts here is – to take a very etiquette approach to what is a mm-hmm. a really difficult problem and the etiquette rule that comes to my mind first and i hope that everyone out there will excuse the the sort of simple connection to manners at the table but it's it's what we oftentimes have called on the show the broccoli on the tooth rule
1: mm-hmm. and
0: the the idea behind the broccoli on the tooth rule is: Would you want someone to talk to you about something that was difficult or potentially awkward or embarrassing? Um, and if you have a little bit of broccoli on your tooth, most people would tell you that they would want you to talk to them about it. And. Mm-hmm. If I was your friend, I would want to know about this situation and I would want to know what happened and I would want to know how you were feeling about it. It's serious enough and it clearly had enough of an impact on you and on other people at the wedding that that I don't think it's just a good idea. I think it's important to talk to your friend about it if you're comfortable doing it. If that's something that you want to do, I think it's a really good idea in service of the relationship. How you have that difficult conversation, I think, is really important. And I do think there is some really good etiquette around ways that you can approach that conversation to give yourself the best chance for your friend to hear what you have to say and to respond to you in a way that's really going to work to help both of you continue to have this friendship that's lasted for 11 years.
1: 'Cause I'm right there with you. I think this is a serious enough situation and a, a long term and important enough friendship in your life that if you want to broach this subject, you should you should feel um I don't always know if I'd say confident, but right in doing so, that this that that it would be within the grounds that that you would want to have addressed that I don't think friends who are this good of friends would want to let something like this go between each other. Um, and I think that if you did, if you just didn't broach the subject, it leaves you in the position of not really explaining why you're always saying no to her invitations, you know, to come over for dinner with her and her boyfriend or something like that. And I, th- I think it's it's big enough and it's going to impact how you interact with her enough that I think that the conversation is worth it.
0: I couldn't agree more. One of the potential problems raising it is that it could come across as commenting on someone else's relationship and mm-hmm. not everyone is welcoming to those sorts of that sort of input or those sorts of comments. At the same time, I think there are things that you can do that put the conversation in the lane that allows your your friend to hear it and not hear it as a criticism, but as you sharing information that's really important to you. So I think you start off by treating the conversation itself with the seriousness that it deserves, that you ask for a time and place to have the conversation, that you acknowledge Mm -hmm. that there's something potentially awkward or difficult that you want to talk to your friend about and that you want to find the right time to do it. As we often say on this show, make your good intentions explicit. Say to your friend that you value the friendship, that you care about her, that if the shoe were on the other foot, you would hope that she would feel comfortable talking to you about it. That you don't judge her, that this isn't a comment on her or her choices in relationships, but it's about the way the person that she brought behaved and
1: And how it impacted you. How it impacted
0: you and other people at the wedding, that you weren't the only one. And and that's an important detail to include also, that it's not just from your perspective that this was happening, but from several people's perspectives, because that does add weight to the interpretation of what was happening at the wedding. I also think it's really important to be ready to listen, to be ready to give mm-hmm. your friend space to hear what you have to say and maybe have a response in the moment or maybe to need some time to figure out. How she feels and thinks about what might be new information or what might not be new information. This might be mm-hmm. something that she's very aware of, and she says, "Oh, you know, I, I watched all that happen, and it was so embarrassing and awkward for me, and I didn't know how to talk about it with you.
1: Didn't know what to do. Yeah. It's
0: also yeah. entirely possible that that it comes as a blindside that it's that it's a side of this other person that she didn't see herself, and she's going to need some time to to really digest that.
1: And it's happening around a wedding, which can also cause a lot of of feelings about relationships and how they're perceived and where people are at in them and things like that, which can which can just also impact how someone's hearing something at a particular time.
0: I think you can also acknowledge that it's her choice about how she wants to approach this relationship and move forward. And that for you, there are a couple of issues that are at play. One is the way that that you felt with him and that you're not comfortable being around him in the future or would prefer not to be. And Mm -hmm. the, the other issue being about the, just the two of you and wanting to, to maintain integrity in your relationship and to talk with her about what you experienced and how it made you feel so that, so that you two are both operating with enough information to really clarity and enough clarity to, to, to move forward so that you both understand how each other were perceiving that and can move forward.
1: Dan, I think you, you got out the most important points about how to handle a very difficult situation. The one that I kind of want to close us on is to remember that time can make a big difference with this one. It might take your friend, as Dan had mentioned time to absorb what she's hearing. And to even understand or appreciate your side of it and, and your perspective that led you to make the decision to talk about it and request the boundary that you're going to request with her. And that time, I think, can be really important. It's hard because I think you you want to to get answers, move forward to uh, the situation where she understands what's going on and is willing to get together with you just one on one. But as we know, that might not be the case. It might be even that she understands, accepts it. And then when it's put into practice, it starts being frustrating or difficult on her end, trying to navigate keeping the two of you apart while she tries to navigate the social and and relationship. Um, aspect of her life. So I think g- give it time, however it starts to play out. It, if it doesn't go well, you might be able to address it again later or reach out, letting her know how much you do miss her friendship if, if it's kind of off for a bit. Um, or if you're jumping right into trying to work on that boundary, um, giving her time to absorb it and, and work it into life. And, and and you as well, I think, is a good idea with this. it's This is a really, really, really tough one.
0: Lizzie, I was also thinking about the fall up and yeah. sort of how you then move forward in the friendship if if it's possible, and I think that you can participate in increasing the chances that it is possible, and mm-hmm. I think that you can follow up on the conversation that we're talking about with an invitation to your friend to do something. And Go for a
1: coffee or a walk or something. Exactly. And
0: maybe it's not that yeah. day. Maybe it's with an awareness of that passage of time working to smooth a lot of intense feelings over. But a clear invitation to her to do something with just her might be a way to, to create a space for that friendship so that it doesn't have to dissolve whether or not you're able to reach some accord about this new relationship
1: rl we are so sorry that you've had this experience and we hope that if you do address the issue that our answer helps hi Anne. what you doing saturday night
0: well i i guess i'm busy oh
1: yeah and they yet to him the brush off for me
0: Well, of all the nerves well is there another way Our next question is about a messy monogram. Dear Dan and Lizzie, thank you for your wonderful podcast. I look forward to listening to it each week. My question is regarding what's the proper monogram? My husband is a junior. Example, Alpha Bravo Charlie Jr. He insists that only his father's monogram is A, B, C. He thinks using that monogram for himself is incorrect, since his father's name is Alpha Bravo Charlie, and his is Alpha Bravo Charlie Jr. Is my husband correct? If so, what is the correct form to use when having something personalized with a monogram for him, such as stationery? I've had the opinion that suffixes are not included in monograms, and that his would be the same as his father's monogram. As gift-giving season is rapidly approaching, I would love to personalize a gift for him with the proper monogram, once I have confirmation from you on how exactly his should be represented. Thank you, (laughs) Holly.
1: Because... You know, we get into trouble when we solve I was going to say, debate. this
0: is a <laughs> like,
1: but this a is, minefield usually,
0: question.
1: Right? Like, usually we try really hard to, to, like, talk about it from each of the partner's perspectives and how basically you can usually do anything you want if someone's really that strong about it. Not quite the case here, <laughs> traditionally. And I would say that tradition is continuing to be upheld. You do not use junior or senior or the third in your monogram. Typically, monograms are set up for three letters. There are times where you use uh, one. There are times where you use two. And there are times when people who have four letters are using four. But most often when you're doing things like Holly is thinking of doing, getting gifts um, for holiday season, that sort of thing, or birthday or something like that, or an anniversary, you're filling out forms on a website that only have those constructions. They don't even have room to put like a junior or a third or something like that. That said, too, I, I have a hard time in my mind picturing what it would look like, and and that it would have the same kind of elegance and dare I say the word, cause thrill that monograms in the in the one, two, three, or four. Structure tend to have um, I'm picturing some of the really beautiful ones where the last um, initial is like big and, and frilly and the, the, the surname initial and the yeah. two kind of middle and for the first name and the middle name are like smaller and elegantly kind of folded in almost on either side of that that big frilly beautiful initial. No, I don't have monogram towels or sheets or or bathrobes that look like this in my house, but you know, a girl can dream. But I think that this is one where I would suggest just using the standard monogram cuz my idea for this had been that rather than maybe do the ABC since Holly's husband doesn't seem to equate that with him and equates it with his father instead. Mm-hmm. I think that you could do maybe just like if your last name was the Charlie or you could do just the first initial. I know in my family, we got all different ranges from our full three letter initials to just our first initial to something with just a P on it for post Um, might be a different way to go. Still satisfy your desire to give a monogram gift, but not give a monogram that, you know, he's kind of not digging to begin with.
0: That's the place where I hitched in this question. Yeah. I, I, like you, I started off with the the practical problem which is that like you said a lot of places that will monogram you're feeding the information into a sewing machine that's got three letters that it produces yes. or <laughs> totally. it, it's it's a standard format and most of them in fact I would imagine all of them are formatted not to include juniors and seniors. You you might find one or you might find someone who's creatively able to originally generate you something but um, I, th- I think there might be a practical difficulty to doing it. I was also thinking yeah. about the, the gift-giving relationship that you're wanting to get something that somebody's really going to like and you're yeah. aware that they don't like the traditional <laughs> way of doing it. Is there a workaround? And I started to think like you were thinking that, that there are lots of different ways to arrange the three initials into a monogram that mm-hmm. you can do it. I- I've seen them where you have equal weight to each letter. And it goes mm-hmm. in the Alpha Bravo Charlie format. And then there's that example that you were talking about where the Charlie gets big and moves the to the middle. Name. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you yeah. get like Alpha Charlie Bravo. And you might just figure out what the father does and then go the other way. So if the father oh, do has a monogram so you're not, yes, that totally. they use, you choose the other construction. And there are even some, they're not as traditional, but creative monograms that'll have the big Last name and then the others in a square with it, maybe with the, mm-hmm. the letters above and below. They're they're not traditional constructions, but mm-hmm. people do have options for doing it. And it might be a way to have a monogram that was distinct from his father's that he could use and feel good about and, and, and would look really good and maybe classy and, and contemporary yeah. and different. Yeah.
1: Because. Yeah. Pull me back if you think I'm going too far with this next thought. Oh boy. But I, know I can't preemptively
0: pull you back.
1: <laughs> I, well, you can you can wrap my fingers if you need to, or tell me, you know, to tell our audience don't listen to Lizzie. But one of the interesting things about junior, senior, thirds is that when the most senior in the list passes away, technically You change the number that you were in existence, like you're the scene, the most senior living is the most senior living. So a junior, while having been a junior their entire life, may end up losing that junior title eventually. Mm-hmm. And that's just, it's just something to think about when it comes to it. And I know a lot of juniors, some juniors even get called junior. And so it's like really, they really associate it with their name. Mm-hmm. But this is, um, it's, it's one of the interesting things about the way that we use these suffixes and sort of as as titles and suffixes
0: i think it's a good point and it's probably why traditionally it wasn't used because it wasn't a mm-hmm. permanent part of your title
1: not that holly i think you should take that and and use it as like a haha, your junior doesn't even matter honey
0: <laughs> that would not be good etiquette that is true no it
1: wouldn't be good etiquette it wouldn't be good etiquette no
0: knuckle wraps here lizzie Post. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Thanks, cuz. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> and Holly, thank you so much for this question. It is fun to talk about monograms. They, they can be really beautiful and they can be very distinguished. And we wish you the very best in looking for a gift that your husband will love.
1: Our next question is titled, Hosting at Their House. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for all you do. I love your podcast. I am writing in to ask about hosting responsibilities when you are hosting at another person's house. My husband and I usually host Thanksgiving at our house. This year, we are thinking that my husband's parents' house will be a better fit for our family gathering. They have more space and are more centrally located. I don't want to add more work for them because they already host Christmas for our extended family. They have graciously agreed to let us use their home. But now I am wondering how to host at someone else's house. Should I go over the day before and help clean? Do I stay after to make sure that things are clean before we leave? At our house, the main cleanup usually ends up happening the day after. Should we still choose the music, decorations, etc.? We live about 20 minutes away from my husband's parents, so it's not too hard to get over there. I love cooking and meal planning, so that part is already covered. If you haven't
0: covered this topic before,
1: I would love a little guidance. Thank you. Best. Hosting for the holidays. Oh,
0: hosting for the holidays. Thank you so much for this very timely question.
1: Right? I'm like in this. Sp- it's like really getting me in the spirit. Oh, it it,
0: it it sounds so familiar to me. I think a lot of families right? have a version of this question or some something related to totally. it. Totally, I, I certainly know it was the discussion in my family, the sending side of the family this year where there's often a big Thanksgiving gathering and this year there's a bunch of sub-gatherings and people are figuring out which clusters are going to be at which houses and um, <laughs> definitely some – of the older generation decided this was the year they were going to bow out and say, it's up to all of you to put this together and invite us. (laughs) Figure
1: it out. (laughs) Kids, figure it out. (laughs) So
0: we've done a version of this in a, in a very personal way around the Senning family this year. And um, there are some courtesies that I think are really important to think about. And I see them all being considered in this question, which really gives me a lot of confidence saying that I think you're going to handle this very well. The specifics that I think are worth really thinking about are Mm -hmm. clear communication, that you get in touch early and ahead of time so that you are able to to do as much as you can of the preparatory work ahead of time. And that might mean that you need to get a couple questions answered about the serving where that's available or the space or how comfortable they'd be with you decorating the space Mm -hmm. just so you have some idea how to go about making your plans and what those parameters are. And that also really just starts to open up the whole dialogue. Part of that conversation can be you inviting them to bring up anything that they want with you about mm-hmm. either your role as the host or your expectations of them. The second thought that I had was that you are really considerate to think about being part of the cleanup and the preparation and that that is on off-
1: both ends of it. That's what I like. Both ends of it.
0: Absolutely. And, and, and I was really – Tell me, Lizzie, if you would imagine this similarly to me. Sure. I would think that the cleanup before might involve a a, a second trip to the house, that it might involve coming a day or two early to do more of that deeper preparatory work. If that was necessary, if in your preparatory talks it was vacuuming and some other things that were going to happen, cleaning bathrooms that – That you wouldn't want to be doing day of.
1: I was thinking because very similarly, that probably as I'm as I'm looking to touch base, either uh, right now, it would be this week as we record this podcast. But but by the time you all hear it, it'll be the start of Thanksgiving week. And so either already have have reached out and touch base on this or I'm touching base, you know, on a Monday for a Thursday gathering to say, hey, I wanted to find out about cleaning and what I can do to help get the house ready. I'd be happy to come over on Wednesday and vacuum, you know, mop, do the counters, like get get the space ready if that sounds helpful to you. It's it's one of those things. Some people really want to clean their house their own way. Some people keep their house very clean and mm-hmm. are like, no, nah, I can run a quick vacuum over it and it'll be fine. So you might get a variety of answers and be prepared to go do the thing that you're offering to <laughs> do if you get the answer that is, boy, that would be great. And it really is the big the big clean. But I love the idea of helping out for the cleaning up sort of a day ahead of time that way. The day of the party or the or the gathering, this time, the holiday. It's a lot easier to handle any any little kind of spruce ups, or to just bring the decorations and be able to to do the decorating ahead of time. But I, I love the idea of doing that, and I also love the idea of making sure that even though. At your house, nobody helps clean up from the big meal. It's kind of left for for the hosts for the next day that you would offer to clean up and make sure that you aren't leaving your husband's parents with with that mess
0: overnight, even if you offer to come clean up the next day or something. Lizzie Bose, thank you so much for saying overnight because in in my mind, I was thinking – That's what you're doing. (laughs) I was thinking that the the cleanup before might be a separate trip, but that for the cleanup Mm -hmm. afterwards – I would definitely be planning to extend my stay at the end after other people left and to try Mm -hmm. to get as much of it done that day as possible for just that reason.
1: And they might absolve you. They might say, no, go home. You've done so much already. Don't worry. And that's wonderful. It's not necessary, but it's wonderful. Like, you know what I mean? It's uh, that might happen. But I think you want to be prepared As the person who's kind of hosting and asking to host somewhere else to clean up at the start and the end and just like you're taking it all on.
0: In the spirit of that, I will ask my cousin on this podcast, would you be willing to do a second pass if someone tried to absolve you of that? Would you be willing to push just a little bit and say, no, no, no. I want to be sure we said we would host that I help clean up that a more that-
1: confident person than i cuz might be comfortable with the single pass but my my nature would be to to be the person who would say are you sure you know and even like yeah. so maybe we're we're cleaning up and they're really insisting go home don't worry about it we'll do it I might, you know, um, move around, gather up my things and then say, like, before I've put on a jacket or anything, before I even look like I might head out a door, I would say, are you sure? I would real, I would feel so good about helping to clean up. And, and if they still say, no, that's fine. You go home. I would still probably be the type to reach out the next morning and say, hey, do you want me to come over and, like, tidy up anything from the night before? Just give them every opportunity to say yes to you. I probably wouldn't say five times, but but two, three check-ins, I think, yeah, I would. I probably would.
0: It's funny. As I was reading this question, I was imagining pushing much harder to do the hosting duties. I was thinking to myself that you would want to walk through the door assuming that you were going to play those roles and conducting yourself as if that was the expectation that you had and that they would have. And what I'm hearing is as we're talking about it is that I think that there is something that could very easily start to happen, which would be that you might fall into the older host guest roles that you are used to playing when your parents are hosting you at their house (laughs) and to really be ready for that host guest dance to start to creep into a situation where your goal and your desire is to really flip those roles and, the more prepared that you are as you walk in to feel that happening or notice that happening, the better prepared you're going to be to make the kind and gentle directions to keep yourself mm-hmm. in that hosting role that you can't stop them if they, if they insist it's their home and you got to respect that, but that you can do some gentle reminding, both in terms of how you conduct yourself and how you bring things up that also keeps your responsibility in that hosting that hosting level or that hosting category.
1: Cuz one of the places where I was imagining that kind of um little bit of give and take in that role of host that you put yourself in when you're hosting at someone else's house um came around things like the the decor and the mention of music. And that to me became things where I was like, "Boy, I'm really in someone else's home. Maybe I won't try to unless they want me to." Boy, I'm in someone else's home, they might feel more comfortable with their own Thanksgiving decor or putting on their own favorite, you know, music in the background for a party, that sort of thing, because I'm imagining the host is in this place. Some homeowners might absorb this and just be like, this is fabulous. Someone else comes to my house, hosts the whole thing, does the cleaning, does the cooking, does the prep, does the decorating, fix the music. There's just a beautiful party at my house. How lovely. And I could see other homeowners feeling that desire to want to have that. Pumpkin display that they usually put out or, you know, put on that classical music that they love so much, whatever it might be. Um, and I would prepare myself to balance not just in, in those cooking and cleaning roles, but also in in the decor and in kind of the greetings and the music and, and things like that that help
0: set the atmosphere. Hosting for the holidays, we hope that this podcast reaches you in time and that some of our advice is useful or helpful as you go about hosting at a home that isn't yours. I don't think you will be alone this holiday playing this role. Nope. And we wish <laughs> you the very best and a very happy Thanksgiving. A well-mannered group, I they? You notice their good manners right away.
1: Good manners make good first impressions. And because your manners are showing all the time, they have a lot to do with how
0: well people like you. This question involves neighborhood niceties. When a longtime neighbor moves, which neighbor should express the goodbye? The one moving or the one remaining? Romeo.
1: Romeo, thanks so much for the question. This is one where, I mean, there really is... In a, in some ways, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but importance on the neighbor who is moving to communicate that they're actually moving, because unless you actually see, you know, the, the moving van and all of the moving taking place to get out of the house... Your neighbor could move without you knowing, absolutely. Like I think – I do think even though I don't want to say it's the responsibility of, I think the nature of it is that the one who is moving has to at some point let the other neighbors know
0: that they're moving. There is a very practical
1: starting point for
0: this, yes.
1: (laughs) But in terms of the goodbye, once that knowledge is there, I mean obviously like we've got to kind of know the rough date – but sometime near near that date, like if, if a neighbor told me, oh, we're moving at the end of the month, I think I would probably want to try to put in my good etiquette, good neighbor, neighbor niceties cap, the idea of going over to them, you know, either with a card or a little plate of cookies or something like that to say, you know, to sort of send them off, to say goodbye and to say, I wish you well, you know, for where you're headed next.
0: I think that's a natural reply to hearing someone tell you that they're going to be moving. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think it would also be a relatively natural thing for someone to share the news that they're going to be moving. And maybe if they didn't hear back from people or even if they just wanted to, to maybe follow up that sort of news with or or even include with that news the idea that we will miss you all and it'd be lovely yeah. to get together and have a chance to say goodbye or reminisce or whatever, whatever the – the relationship has been to honor it in an appropriate yeah. way.
1: It's also a pretty natural thing as the, the actual moving date approaches, you know, especially that, that last week that you're in your spot to go around and just catch your neighbors, you know, whether that's stopping by and knocking on a door or it's giving a phone call, you know, depends on how connected you are, but saying, Hey, we're going to be taken off. And I just want to let you know, you know, thanks so much for being a great neighbor or, If you can't say that truthfully, just wanted to let you know and hope that you take care. All perfectly fine things to go do. And I think we see these things happen from a perspective of good etiquette in in many different ways, especially given the situation. Some neighbors stay in touch. Some neighbors don't. Sometimes I had a neighbor move just across the street. And, and now we never see each other. <laughs> like, you know, it's, uh, you'd think that moving just across the street, we'd still see each other a lot, but like, it doesn't oh, happen. I see the across,
0: the, was it wasn't a neighbor no, who it, was across the street moved away. He, Someone moved well, from your side to the other yes. side.
1: <laughs> no, it's exactly. And I should be a little more specific. They moved from, um, so I live on a corner, uh, on a corner lot. So I have two streets, and they moved from the side street. To actually a side street across from the main street. So it's, it's like I don't see them in their yard anymore because I can't see their yard. But just that was enough. And, and then they really are only like two houses in on the street across the street. It's really funny. Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, but. It, it, it neighbors. Um, you can keep in touch. You can say goodbye. You can you can be the one moving and say goodbye. The one moving does though. That we're going to stick to that point. They do have to kind of let people know that they're
0: moving. Well, there's no real etiquette rule about who says goodbye. It's certainly an option for both sides. I do think there is a good rule of etiquette that says goodbyes are important. That yes. In the Our same way we pay important. attention to how we introduce ourselves and how we manage first impressions and first encounters and introductions, that it, it also is important how we say goodbye. And I think that it's a a really wise thing for people on either side of this equation to think about whether that goodbye has happened, whether it's been honored, and to to take the initiative if it hasn't because it is an important part of a relationship and it oftentimes – creates room for relationships to continue or for new relationships to emerge or even just feels good to bring to completion something that that may have mattered in your community to whatever extent to your neighbor it. relationship yeah. mattered
1: romeo thank you so much for the question and we hope our answer helps for the next time you find yourself in this situation
0: we've missed that guy this week all of us Joe certainly made himself a friend of this whole bunch.
1: Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesome at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802 858 KIND. That's 802 858 5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we're at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show.
0: If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help to keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support.
1: It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we have two... Totally different pieces of feedback on the same question and issue, which comes from episode 371, and it was the question where a host was writing in about a guest who had been invited to a wedding that was an adults-only wedding, and the guest was either calling to say they'd like to show up with their baby and the baby could just be kept, you know, quiet in the carrier under the table, or was showing up to the wedding With the baby, and that was the topic that we were dealing with. Dan, do you want to read our first piece of feedback?
0: I would be delighted to do so. Okay. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I vehemently disagree with your answer in episode 371 about the mother who showed up with a baby to an adults-only wedding. People who do this know what they are doing and are relying on the hosts to be too polite to say anything. You just gave a bunch of rude people, carte blanche, to do as they wish and force the hosts to suck it up spend 10 minutes on reddit and you will see this if this was a party maybe because you can always choose to not invite this person to another but a wedding is mostly a -a once-in-a-lifetime event people put a lot of effort and money into the reply should be aunt kathy you knew this was an adult only event you need to take tyler home And Dan, to your friends who encouraged you to take your infants out when they are in the houseplant stage, plants don't scream. It was people with this attitude who ruined the anniversary dinner my brother and I had planned for our parents. The couple at the table next to us had a very young child who woke up and screamed and screamed. The parents kept saying, she will go back to sleep soon, you'll see. But five minutes later, I had a splitting headache and was put off my food. While two rudes don't make a right, having good etiquette should not force you to be a human doormat. I really hope you address this because I'm pretty disappointed in your advice. Best, Amy in Concord. Amy, I am so sorry that you had a situation where someone screamed at a table next to you until you had a headache. And I, I couldn't sympathize anymore, and I don't think there's any tenet of good etiquette that says that anybody should be subjected to that that you should or the establishment should have to take that or that those parents shouldn't take immediate action if they were hoping that their baby was going to be able to sleep through a meal and it wasn't able to and a a
1: little bit of fussing in a quiet down sure, but i can picture dan poe's setting as soon as his baby starts crying picking baby up and walking away from the tables and then assessing whether or not this was going to be a short round of cry or a long enough round of cry that it was time to time to go um just for for those who are thinking of, of bringing babies out it's worth it's worth considering what's your backup plan if screaming or crying does start or if if a young child starts to to be in that zone I did want to comment that I completely agree with Amy and Concord when she says, while two rudes don't make a right, having good etiquette should not force you to be a human doormat. And I think mm-hmm. that's a point that I really appreciated seeing there because it's one Dan and I really, at least Dan, I'm going to put words in your mouth. It's one Dan and I really agree with. And that there should be things where if you feel flexible enough to absorb the extra guests that you're being asked to absorb, go right ahead. If you really aren't in a position to do so, then it's it's time to, to have a frank conversation about that. But I agree. I don't think anywhere we want people to feel like they are being walked over, like they are being put upon to a degree that is – is is really egregious for them?
0: Amy asked for a reply, and I guess my final thought for Amy is that I really appreciate your feedback. We get a lot of feedback when our advice works. I also really appreciate hearing when people don't agree with our advice. It really helps mm-hmm. to flesh out and fill out all the different sides and approaches to a given situation.
1: We mentioned that we had another response to this very same topic, and it, it is the other end of the spectrum. Dan, do you want to do you want to read this one as well?
0: Dear experts, In your most recent episode, you gave advice to somebody who was upset that new parents had decided to bring a baby to a wedding against the wishes of the happy couple who had opted for a formal, adult only wedding. First, I feel a need to note as an anthropologist that all weddings are formal rites of passage, no matter the guest list. Second, I found myself unsympathetic with the asker of the question. I was raised in an environment where weddings, first and foremost, are family events. My husband and I got married with less than 20 people, but despite our talks of eloping, still invited all immediate family, plus some of my child cousins who were just really excited I was getting married. While I realize some of this must be cultural, my ethnicity is best described as Scottish Canadian, but I know this is not unique to my culture. What is your official etiquette position on disinviting children? In the original question, we were told that the offending mother is a relative. My parents have talked about a cousin having a no children wedding when I was a baby, and they felt this meant they and other relatives were pointedly being asked not to come because they would not have been able to afford child care for an entire weekend, plus the expense of attending the wedding. I can imagine this feeling all the more pointed if it had been someone closer to them, like a sibling. I can't imagine not having my nieces at my wedding. I feel like it's extremely selfish and unkind to host a wedding, invite friends and relatives, but specifically exclude children. In my mind, this is tantamount to making a statement that the children in your life are not important to you. But maybe I am the one who is thinking unreasonably. I would love to hear your thoughts on the best etiquette practices when it comes to inviting children. All the best, pro-family weddings.
1: Pro Family Weddings, thank you for your different perspective on, on weddings and for asking the question in the way that you did at the end, because I, I feel like it it allows both Dan and I, you know, separately even to give our perspectives back to you. For me, I really put it to the couple that it's up to them to decide how they would like their wedding to be. And for you, it's really clear that that having those children at the wedding was an important part about it. You say, I can't imagine not having my nieces at my wedding. I remember as a child, like this is like first memory stuff. I'm pretty sure it is like my youngest memory, is of being dropped off at my grandparents' Bud and poppy's house to be left with them for my first weekend away from my family. Um, I remember crying really, really hard. My mom, my dad and my older sister were all going to my aunt's wedding where my older sister was going to get to be a flower girl. And I was young enough to understand that that was important and cool. She got to spread flowers down an aisle and and it was like going to be a thing. And I was not invited because there were no children aside from my sister who was the only child like the flower girl. And that it's, it's for some people, it's a, it's going to be a hard and fast thing. For other people, it's going to cause divides between even siblings at a wedding and whether or not they attend. And, and for other people, it's not going to be a big deal. But I think it's the, the reality is, is what's the couple asking for? How would they like their wedding to be? So far in etiquette, I can't come up with a reason that states that families must be included or that children must be included. I wouldn't go so far as to assume that if you're invited to an adults-only wedding, that the uh, intent behind the adults-only part of it is to make sure that you don't come to the wedding. I, I think they really mean the adults are being invited, but that it's it's not going to be a wedding where kids are going to be a part of it. I
0: think that's probably a good read, Lizzie Post. And it might be a mechanism sometimes to exclude certain Maybe. people but I, I think one of the tenets of good etiquette is that you don't um, assume bad intent or deceptive intent in other people i think that you you're operating at your best when you take people at face value and i think like you that from an etiquette perspective children or no children is still a hosting choice and something that mm-hmm. people get to make and then the question becomes how you handle that and how you manage that that choice once you've made your decision, how you communicate about it, how you deal with people who honor or don't honor the Mm -hmm. parameters that you set up as a host when they're guests. I also really appreciate pro-family weddings thoughts on the inclusion of children and the ways that weddings function in our lives, whether they have what we think of as as the traditional marks of formality or whether Mm -hmm. or not the, the import of a wedding comes from the ultimate significance that, that that moment has in any couple's life. And it's really it being that significance that invests the ceremony and the day and the experience with the, the you could call it the formality or the importance of, of the event itself.
1: Pro Family Weddings and Amy in Concord, thank you both very much for your detailed and strong feedback to this particular question. We really appreciate the breadth of opinion that it allows us to see when it comes to this particular topic.
0: Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next question, feedback, or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
1: Time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today, we're going to discuss... Setting the Thanksgiving Day table because it's Thanksgiving week. It's my favorite holiday. I say that every year on the show when we get to Thanksgiving, cuz, but it, it really is my favorite holiday. I hope and you say I it lo- again
0: next year. I, I do. Yes. I do. I
1: love the meal. Even when my family switched to doing a porchetta instead of a turkey, I still love the meal. And it's so good and it's so wonderful. And I, I occasionally get a little bit bored with the table that we set at home only because it is the exact same one every single year. <laughs> but we do have a wonderful and classic Emily Post etiquette table setting vi- video that we invite you to visit this week to help inspire you to set your table. You will see my mother and I set our holiday table and that's kind of become an annual tradition. <laughs> but table setting for, for a big special event is a lot of fun. It's, 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 it's special. It's different from our everyday. And that's only if we're going to do it, right? Because some people eat on laps in front of football or something. And that's the tradition. Sorry, cuz. I just, like, got way too excited about holiday table setting. Come in here and rein me back into our I'm not reining
0: anything in. I'm just gonna affirm (laughs) your your, uh, dive off the deep end because I am the person who will be sitting on Thursday watching our website crash repeatedly as it deals with a level of traffic that it sees on no other day of the year. And the search that will drive that traffic is how do I set the table, table setting, table setting guides, and <laughs> um, every bit of data that we can save from being flo- – from flowing through our website on Thursday is a it's bonus. Good. So do you know what
1: I've always dreamed for that website section? I keep wishing – and we we often ask for it, but we ask people to send us their holiday table. And I want to get a gallery. That's just an example of all that like just just tons of fo- like our own little mini Pinterest section on that website. That's all these different uh, table settings sent in by by our listeners
0: and audience. Hashtag awesome etiquette.
1: I know. Yeah. Like so send us your pictures and use the hashtag awesome etiquette with them. We want to see them. You can email them. You can post them on social media and tag us. Whatever works. We We want to start harvesting and have a gallery ready for you for next year. But we do have a postscript to do in the meantime, and i better on it mean we can't just like, be excited about setting a
0: table. Thing. we have to talk no. about it.
1: we gotta actually give advice exactly
0: because take us through some basics and then take us through a few little details,
1: okay, okay so. The The basics of the table setting, and we actually don't talk about this that much on the show, but are that the forks are set to the left of the plate or the center of the setting and the knives and the spoons are then set to the right. And that we tend to set these utensils in the order of which we are going to need them. So from the outside in, we're working from that first course to the next course to the main course in each grouping of fork knife, and spoon. Often the next thing that I tend to think of is our uh, bread plate, which would be set on the left just above where the forks are. And that comes with its little butter knife usually. And then over on the right is where we're going to put our glasses, and our water glass acts as kind of an anchor, and it sits right mm-hmm. off the, the tip of the knife at, like, kind of a 45-degree angle towards towards the top right of the knife, and it sits there as an anchor. It's going to remain there for the majority of the meal. After that, it kind of depends on whether you're going to group your glasses or whether you're going to have them kind of cascade out in a line that goes sort of down, diagonally down to the right of the setting. And if you're cascading, you're going to put the glasses that you're going to use first furthest out, so just like your silverware, outside in. If you're grouping, you often put the glasses that will come first sort of closest to that knife or that water glass and then group them as you move further back to the glasses that you'd use further
0: along in the meal. Lizzie Bose, let me interrupt for one second. I have a question to ask. Yes. Yes. What about the napkin?
1: Okay, so I was leaving the napkin because I know that somebody has some thoughts on the ah, napkin and setting the napkin in ways. I got impatient, did I? Only have to touch it with you know what? Barely touch the napkin to unfold it. Dan and I had quite the discussion about napkins and napkin folding. When we got Trisha Post involved as well, it was an even greater and and almost ridiculous conversation about napkins and how they're used and best used. But because you. You actually have some really fabulous tips for the napkin. So do you wanna do you wanna lay them out right here?
0: No, I guess the thing I was thinking of uh was that the napkin is most commonly found to the left of the plate with the yes. forks. And it is while it's entirely appropriate for it to drift under the forks, sometimes it's set under the forks or even to the center of the plate where you will also find it sometimes. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. to the left of the forks is just a nice easy place to think of the napkin. And when you talk about that, um that detailed discussion that we got into (laughs) It, it involved folding the napkin in such a way that when you just picked it up by the top left corner, that it just sort of opens as you pick it up into the air, which makes it really easy to lay down into your lap. And, If the napkin is elaborately folded into some shape, that doesn't quite happen. There's more of a process of unfolding it.
1: And if it's under the forks, you have to lift the forks to get to it. So there was this elegance and formality about the napkin being presented in such a way.
0: Exactly and you like to laugh at me for that sometimes
1: I like to tease you about it because I just think it's a, it's just fun it, we the two of us have like funny little details that we glom onto and get excited about or interested it's so in true. And, and that's one of yours and so I just like I delight in in the fact that that's true.
0: Well thank you for letting me interrupt and talk about napkins for a minute. Please do continue with the rest of the silver.
1: Two other pieces of silverware that we haven't talked about yet are the dessert fork and spoon. And sometimes these are brought out with the dessert. And so there's there's no need to set them out at the table. And other times they will be placed at the top of your setting with the dessert fork having its handle to the left and its tines uh, to the right and below it if you're using a dessert spoon as well would be placed the dessert spoon with its um the bowl of the spoon on the left and its handle pointing to the right and the reason for this is that once all the rest of the silverware has been cleared those two implements can just slide right down into their respective places with the fork on the left and the the spoon on the right and they're they're sort of nice and and neatly moved into place without any twisting or flipping that needs to go on. But that's your basic, we say basic, it was actually a pretty formal table setting that we just described. But that's sort of the, the basic idea for a more formalized meal. A lot of us might not have things like appetizers or courses, and so we'll just be setting one fork, one knife, and the dessert silverware. Others are going to do a buffet, and nothing will even be said at the table. But it's really fun to take a minute and actually lay out a table setting on this podcast because I think it's really etiquette-y.
0: Lizzie Boast. Take us through some little touches at the table.
1: Okay, so these are the fun things. This is the stuff that I really liked putting out when I was a kid. And my, my dear sweet mother always put us in charge of the place cards and things like that because it was where we could have a little artistic flair. And so I'm a big fan of when we have a bit of a more formalized or special meal at the table, using those place cards and thinking of a seating chart for the table. You don't have to go, you know, alternating gender order. You know, you don't have to think about it as seat of honor or things like that. This can even still be for sort of a more casual gathering at the table, but those place cards are a nice little element. And there are some really fabulous companies online that do this, and Mr. P's Place Cards is one of my personal favorites. Some of the other elements that you can think about for the table, the little touches, some folks use napkin rings. Traditionally, napkin rings were, were used so that you could identify whose napkin was whose and have it be reused if it didn't need to be. Cleaned. So but they're they less have, formal, technically. Yeah. So you would think of them as less formal. But in our wonderful world of decorating and creativity and tablescapes, napkin rings have become more formalized. They are something that you wouldn't see at a super formal event. It would be more what Dan described with the napkin just laid to the left so that you could pick it up in one motion. But They can be really fun. They can add some wonderful decor to the table and it is perfectly fine to use them. And this is the one where I get a little geeky, Dan. I'm going to admit that when we're talking about a special meal, I tend to think of um, my mom's super fancy salt cellars and ornately decorated pepper shakers instead of sort of my everyday salt and pepper shaker unit that I've got. And I I like the fact that we have a couple of them, and so you can set them at different kind of intervals along the table. Uh, some people go the uber classy formal route of having one for each individual diner. But there's there's lots of different ways that you could think about even sprucing up your salt and pepper game as you're thinking about setting your holiday table and trying to zhuzh things up a little bit. The final thing that I wanted to talk about was centerpieces. And you've heard us discuss centerpieces before on this podcast, but it's always a really great reminder that they are a place of expression on the table. They are a place of fun. They make the table look festive. I mean, so do all the other linens, and we haven't even talked about those today. But the centerpiece can be a wonderfully festive aspect of your table. I do want to caution people from letting them get too big or starting to encroach too much on a diner's actual dining space. You don't want them to be too high so that they block diners from being able to see one another across the table. Um Sometimes you'll see those really big column vases, and they often get used to help elevate that uh, spectacular arrangement so high up in the air that guests can see. And you don't want that column or that pillar that's holding at the vase to be too, too wide that people can't see around it. But it is one way to tackle height and, and still get the eye contact that you're looking for people to be able to make. The other thing that you kind of don't want to do with centerpieces is to have them be aromatic. You really do not want the aroma from uh, the flowers or anything else that you've put into the arrangement to compete with the food or to confuse the diner's senses. Okay. Those are kind of some of the don'ts out of the way because the really fun part of the centerpiece conversation is to get out the idea that you can incorporate so many other things than flowers into a great centerpiece. And so when – when I'm thinking about what we might put at, at a centerpiece for um something like a, a, a really seasonal meal like Thanksgiving, I'm thinking about fruits of the season that might look really good. I saw an incredible table setting recently, which we will be posting to Instagram this week. It had books. It had antlers. <laughs> it had, a—I am not joking you, an old school. It was either an adding machine or a typing machine or a stenograph machine or something like that. Excuse me? It had, I'm telling you, it had an iron horse figurine. So you could think about little figurines and, and tchotchke-like items that are around your home. Um, there are so many different things that you could gather and incorporate into a theme of a seasonal centerpiece. Cornucopia. Or a Thanksgiving centerpiece. Yes. There were books in this one, which was really, really cool. It's There's just so much that you could do to create a really dynamic centerpiece that that just makes everyone feel delighted and like they are arriving
0: at a really special table
1: okay because i just geeked out for a long time there reel me back in please
0: i'm not about to not for a second not for a heartbeat (laughs) Help me with my vocab is cornucopia like a basket that looks like a horn with all kinds of stuff spilling out of it?
1: Yeah, there's the big horn and there's all the harvest stuff like just spilling right out of it and and yes, you it took would make me a there you took me there.
0: <laughs> Well, I hope that you took our audience there as well, and I hope that everybody has as much fun with their holiday table this year as you and your mother do, and I hope that if people are looking for inspiration, they take you up on your advice to visit our website and to watch you and Trisha set the table, because um, it is something that I know you enjoy and it really comes through.
1: It sure is. I will definitely be very happy on Thanksgiving morning when I am doing all these little things with my family. And I hope that however you choose to celebrate Thanksgiving, that you are filled with gratitude and able to connect with those you love. There is happiness in the air. And the smell of turkey.
0: Mmm, that does look good. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from our own Chris Albertine.
1: Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I have an etiquette salute for you. Recently, my wife and I had an extended trip to Ireland. We stayed in a house in the Dublin suburbs and had no car. We relied on mass transit to travel all over the country and within the city itself. No problem, right? Well, at first, we hadn't a clue how to even pay for it, let alone which of the 19 buses we should use to get downtown. But the Irish people were more than happy to go out of their way to explain it to us. A kind store clerk showed us how to buy the correct transit pass— Sounds easy, but there were about a thousand options. So after 15 minutes, we had our passes. Once we got on the bus, the driver and awaiting passengers were patient while we figured out how to use the pass. Nobody grumbled. No one loudly sighed. As we became regular commuters, we then noticed on every trip when leaving the bus that Everyone said goodbye or thank you to the driver while exiting. A simple thing, but noteworthy. Also, even though there was no enforcement, passengers calmly complied with wearing masks in the bus and trains and public spaces. Again, everyone. At stops for the train, passengers are required to swipe the transit cards at a kiosk on the platform before entering the train. It was an honor system of complete self-enforcement. Again, people just did it, as if there was no choice. Being someone born and raised in New York City, this astounded me. There was never any pushing or shoving. Friendly conversations among strangers were a regular occurrence. As soon as we opened a map, there was a flurry of people that would offer help with directions. Some folks even went out of their way to guide us to our destinations. And good behavior wasn't just on buses and trains. It was retail workers, staff, tour guides, and even pets. Overall, throughout the country of Ireland, there was an air of civility and general kindness that blew us away. So a tip of the hat to the people of Ireland. Chris. Oh, it's so good it got me (laughs) teary-eyed i mean they all do
0: and a tip of our hat to chris (laughs) and betsy for a salute and chris it is so good to get some of your voice on the show i can't wait to um maybe someday get your actual voice on the show so that people can't just hear your sentiments but your voice itself it is such a treat to have you back
1: chris thank you so much for the salute And thank you for listening.
0: And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon.
1: Please connect with this show and share it with whomever you can, any way that you can.
0: You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by email to etiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802 858 That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute.
1: Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette, where memberships start at just a dollar a month. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find awesome etiquette.
0: Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and and Bridget.